You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. And on Father's Day, we can say, you're a good, good father. But you know, God, God doesn't just do good. God is good. He is good. And our circumstances, our situation can never define whether God is good or not. The truth is that He is good. He is good. Although sometimes we don't understand. He's a good, good Father. Last Sunday, it um, it was announced that Beck and I are expecting our third child next year. But you know what? Sometimes things don't go according to plan. You hear the celebration and you hear the elation. I, uh, I spoke about it at one of our 5 p.m. services a number of weeks ago, but for many who don't know, on the 26th of April this year, I was up here, I was preaching, I was speaking, and Beck was on the front row, sitting down there to the side, going through a miscarriage in the middle of our service. You know, there's so much excitement now, but what I want you to know is it's not always happiness. There's pain and there's heartache. Going through a miscarriage that took about two weeks, didn't just happen like that, it took about two weeks. And in that moment, you start to question, God, are you really good? Are you good? But like Paul said to Timothy, Timothy 2, chapter 1, he says, For I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced. I'm convinced. Do you know the God in whom you believe this morning? Are you convinced? Are you convinced that he is able to keep, he's able to guard what we entrust to him? Tell you what, in the middle of that moment, you start to question whether God is good. But he's a good, good father. And whether I know it or not, I don't understand why things happen. But I know he's perfect in all of his ways. He's perfect in all of his ways. Even in the darkest night, He is there. In the deepest valley, He is there. Why don't you take your seat this morning? For I'm convinced, I'm convinced that He's able to guard that which we have entrusted to Him. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. We did our little little moment last night as a family. Um, this morning it was a little bit impractical to try and make it all happen. And, but Ethan, he's just started drawing pictures. He's really taken into drawing at the moment. And um, I saw my first picture of myself the other day and you had to look at it twice to make sure. Gosh, just, But um, it's amazing seeing kids creatively step out and um, begin to draw. But I don't know, maybe some of you this morning have, by 25 past 10 have already been on Facebook, you've already been on Instagram, you've Twittered or you've Snapchatted, if you're Andrew Roscoe, wherever he is, I think he's the only person that I know that's on Snapchat, 
but he's not here, he's probably on Snapchat somewhere. Um, maybe you've, uh, you've done that this morning and posted some sort of picture, some sort of um, appreciation post about how much you love your dad. Because for some, Father's Day is this incredible day where we get to show our appreciation for our dad. It shouldn't just be something that just happens one day a year, but it's something that is just ingrained. But because it's on today, we put our dad, you're the best dad, and we find the best photo that we can possibly find, and we Instagram that photo, and we put it up with the best caption that we can come up with. But you know, for some, Father's Day can be an extremely sad day. Extremely sad. And I can think of one young man today who's experiencing his first Father's Day without his dad. So that's, gonna, that's a really tough day for him and his family today. While there are people celebrating and... Sorry, it's only been a few minutes, but... I, <laughs> um, while there are people celebrating, Father's Day can be filled with so much pain and heartache. Maybe this morning, you, you don't even know who your dad is. You don't even know who your biological father is. Maybe you did know and he's no longer with us. Maybe it's an estranged relationship. Maybe it's an estranged relationship that has maybe been caused by you. Maybe it's been caused by someone else. And things aren't amazing. When you think about Father's Day, maybe today you're here and you're you're a single mum. And your kids aren't with you today because your kids are with your father, uh, are, are with their father. But you may not have a very high opinion, a very high opinion of your children's father. Maybe your father was a terrible man. Maybe he was a man that inflicted so much hurt, whether that be physical, whether it may be mental or emotional. So as we look across, our auditorium today. The truth is we all have a natural father. We all have a biological father. But from seat to seat, row to row, the status of that relationship is going to vary. And it's going to differ. You may not even know the person sitting next to you. You may think you know the person sitting next to you, but you don't know what they're going through today. But whilst we all have natural fathers, but maybe different statuses on relationships, something we all have in common today is that we have a heavenly father. A heavenly father that loves us with such a love that will never be shaken that will never be taken away, that will never, ever be moved, a love that will never, ever fail, a love that will never dry up, a love that will never, ever be exhausted. And today in the time that we have, I, I don't want to give you a message on how to be a better father. But I want to shine a flashlight on our Heavenly Father. 
that regardless of where you may find yourself today, the truth is our Heavenly Father is a good, good Father. And we are loved by Him. We're loved by Him. If you brought your Bible with you this morning, I want you to open it to 1 John. Not the Gospel of John chapter 1, but John's epistle. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Father, this morning, as we open your word, as we talk about you and who you are, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in every heart this morning, that we would truly catch a glimpse of your Father heart toward us, of your love toward us. Father, I pray you would give us eyes to see, hearts that are open. Father, I thank you that you are able to cause the hardest heart to be softened. And I pray that even for those who are so far away from you this morning, I pray that we would all be brought near in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, 1 John 3, verse 1, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. The reality of it is this morning is we are all children of God. We are all children of God, children of our heavenly Father. That whilst our natural relationships with our Father may be exceptionally amazing or so painful and hurtful, our Heavenly Father hasn't just given us love. But I love the way that the Apostle John here, he says, this great love. We're not talking about some minuscule, minor love. See what great love. Great love that the Father has lavished on us. You know, when we think of the word lavish, to lavish is to bestow something in generous, extravagant qualities. Quantities, sorry. Generous, extravagant quantities. This great love that God has poured out upon us this morning. We're not talking about some stingy love that you just get one, one, little, one little measure and that's it. But it's a great love that hasn't just been, well, let's measure out that love today and that's your portion. But it's been lavished upon us. Lavished upon us in generous and extravagant quantities. Lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That word called could be substituted with named. That we should be named children of God. But maybe this morning you're here and over the years you've been you've been called and you've been named anything but a child of God. You've been called and named 
and given anything but a great love. Maybe this morning you've been called and you've been called a mistake. Maybe you've been called an accident. I was looking through Google last night, just looking at some funny Father's Day photos. And tell you what, if you type in funny Father's Day photos, you're going to get some really funny ones and you're going to get some really inappropriate ones. But I saw this picture. It was a picture of this little boy standing on his dad. And the caption of the picture was, Daddy, why does mummy want, why does daddy want, insert contraceptive here, and a time machine for Father's Day? It was meant as a joke. It was meant to be funny. But for some of us this morning, maybe that's our reality. Maybe your father or your mother have said something so incredibly hurtful to you and you've been called and you've been named an accident or a mistake. Maybe you've been told you're not worth it. Maybe you've been told that you're worth nothing and you've, you're of no value. But you see, a name is an identifier. And whilst that may be something that you've identified with up until this point, God's word tells us that we are called his children, children of God. And I want to urge you this morning, don't let yourself be identified with what someone has said about you or what someone has said to you. What someone has said to us does not define who we are. It does not define us. What someone has spoken over us, we don't have to let that define our future. It may be something that helps explain our past, but it doesn't have to define our here and now and our tomorrow. Because the truth of the word, the truth of the Bible, we're not here praising and worshipping and talking about some dead, irrelevant God. We're not talking about some ideal. We're not here talking about a religion, but we're talking about a heavenly Father who has such a great love that He lavished upon us. Us. Not just me. Not just our pastors. But us. And John felt it so important To finish that sentence, we are called children of God and that is what we are. He didn't just leave it as we're children of God, but he wanted to really ram it home. That is what we are. We are not our past. We are not our mistakes. Our past does not define us. You know, since taking on the leadership of our young adults ministry this year. Beck and I have had this verse burning in our hearts. It's in Ephesians 1. It's in the message paraphrase. But Ephesians 1 verse 11 in the message just says, it's in Christ. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. And I tell you what, I'm passionate about raising up a generation of people, even outside of that young adult's generation, but through, through to our church. Imagine a people. Imagine a people who know who they are and what they're living for. Those two things speak of our identity 
and they speak about our purpose. The world in which we live is more than happy to tell us who we are. Happy to tell us that you're defined by the things that you have. You're defined by the things that you don't have. You're defined by what kind of job, whether you went to uni or whether you didn't go to uni. Defined by how much money you have in your bank account, what suburb you live in. But the reality of that is none of that matters. None of it matters. Who we are and what we're living for, our purpose. But that one short verse says the answers to the two biggest questions in life, who we are and what we're living for, are found in Christ. We're not going to find it in a relationship. We're going to find it in a drug. We're going to find it in the bedroom. We're not going to find it in a job or a career. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. We're looking for love in all the wrong places. It's a good song, I think. The line worked well. <laughs> but we're looking for it in the wrong places. Paul doesn't just say who we're living for and uh, who we are and what we're living for. Go and find it. But he tells us where it's found. He tells us where it's found. We are children of God. Why don't you flick the page? Maybe you're not even flicking the page. I know I'm not. But we're going to go from 1 John 3 and we're going to jump into 1 John 4. 1 John 4. We're going to go from verse 7. 1 John 4, verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is is love. God isn't just love. There are so many other attributes to his character and who he is. But one of the things, one of many things that describe who our God is, is love. God is love, but love doesn't necessarily mean love is God. But one of the things about God is that he is love. God is love. This is how God showed his love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Isn't it great that John 3.16, one of the very foundational scriptures of our faith, isn't it great that it doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he thought about sending his son? that he considered sending his son. I'm so glad that God wasn't a God of good intention and just that. But he was a God who put his love in motion and on display for all of us. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been told time and time again that you are loved. Maybe someone, maybe it's your father, maybe it's a friend that you're loved. But all it is is words because all the other actions show otherwise. Show otherwise. I love you, I love you, but all of a sudden there's hurt and there's pain. There's gossip, backstabbing, 
not following through. Maybe you've been promised the world by your father this morning and he hasn't delivered on any of it. But the thing about our God, the God that we are talking about this morning, in that verse, in verse 9, this is how God showed his love amongst us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love. We're not just talking about a God who is, has a theology or an idea about love, but a God who took the first move, who made the first step, demonstrating his love by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, that we could be reunited with him. We separated ourselves from God when we chose to rebel in the Garden of Eden. But God didn't stand back and go, see if they can find their way back to me. Our Heavenly Father demonstrated His own love. Demonstrated His own love. Verse 10, this is love. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. This morning, it's, it's not about how much you love God or whether or not you've shown Him you love Him. God's love is not a response to our love. God's love is of His own accord, reaching beyond the barriers because He loved us first. This morning, he loved you first. He loved you first, not response to your actions, not in response to your works, but because he simply loves you with an unshakable, relentless love. You know, in my, um, in my family and in my marriage with, um, with Beck, we, um, I'm one of those people that... Um, I like to tell my kids, I like to tell Beck, I love you. And it's, it's just how I express love. I just, I'm someone who is very open with my words and I'll, I'll speak about love. Um, and I'll, I'll say to Beck, I might say three times in 10 minutes, I really love you. Like, I really love you. But you see, Beck has grown up An environment where words are cheap. Where words are cheap. It's like, don't tell me, show me. Don't tell me, show me. And I'm just so grateful that our God, our God didn't just tell us he loved us, but he showed us. He put it into action. He made that first move. But you know, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Sometimes we just stop there, but verse 17 is just as powerful. It says, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send Jesus to point out all the rubbish and all the bad stuff and point the finger. If God wanted to condemn the world, he would have sent a condemner. But he wanted to save the world. So he sent a saviour. Now the picture of where 
we were or where we are without Christ is painted pretty clearly in Ephesians 2. Paul starts it with these three words. As for you. As for you. Isn't that pretty awful? As for you. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. All of us. Verse 3. Paul starts by saying, as for you, but then in verse 3, all of us, all of us, not just people out there, all of us. You know, we've been talking in our church about the five pillars of our house. The fourth one, I see a church with a huge heart for the lost and the broken. But you see a church with a huge heart for the lost and the broken. First and foremost, realizes that it is lost and broken. It's not about having a heart for other people. Now that we're saved and we're settled and we're ready. But a church with a huge heart for the lost and the broken, first and foremost, realizes that we are lost and broken. All of us. We are all lost and broken. Today, we are gathered as lost and broken people who have accepted Jesus, who have accepted Jesus. Paints a pretty bleak picture, especially where it says you were dead in your transgressions. Dead. I love what Louis Giglio says. He said, we're not bad people. We're not bad people. We're not people who make mistakes. We're dead people. We're dead. Kaput. And dead people can't do anything for themselves. You ever seen a dead person try and dress themselves? It's impossible. But that's the picture that's being painted here. That we're dead people that can't do anything for ourselves. But isn't it great that verse 4 doesn't say, and God stood back and watched. But it says, but God. But God. But because of his great love. There's those two words again. Great love. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show. He might show. Not talk about Not as an ideology or a thought, but show. Show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, it says, And God was... In Christ, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not seeking to count people's sin against them, but to reconcile to himself. 
to reconcile to himself as the creative team come. The gospel of Luke tells us in chapter 15 that Jesus told three stories, three parables. The first parable, the first story was about a man who lost a sheep. The second story is about a woman who lost a coin. The story about the sheep, he loses, he has a hundred sheep and he loses one. And he sets out to find the sheep, leaves the 99 to find the one. In the second parable, the parable of the lost coin, the woman has 10 coins and she loses one. She doesn't just write it off as a loss. But she turns all the lights on and she sweeps the house until she can find that one coin. The third story in Luke 15. Jesus opens, says there was a man who had two sons. There was a man who had two sons. I'm not going to read it to you this morning, but as the story goes, the man had two sons. The youngest son came to the father. He said, give me my inheritance now. Give it to me now. Give me what's mine. In other words, the son was saying to the father, I'm more interested in what you have and what I can get from you more than I'm interested in who you are. In that society back in the day, for the son to do that was pretty much a wish from the son that the father was dead. But the response of the father wasn't one of anger. It wasn't one of disdain. But the story tells us that he simply went and divided what he had. He divided what he had amongst the son. A little bit later on, the son accumulated all that he had, packed up his stuff and left. It says he traveled to a distant land a long way away where he blew his money, the money, his inheritance on wild living, partying. But then a famine hit the land and the son had used up everything that he had and no one wanted to help him. So he found a job, found a job in a pigsty where he was feeding the pigs and no one was feeding him. But he looked at what the pigs were eating and thought, you know what? I would love to be able to eat what these people were eating. He says he came to his senses and said, you know, the hired men at my father's house, they have food. They looked after I'll go back to my father and ask him to make me one of his hired men. Now the son starts his journey back to the father. But Luke 15, Jesus says, while the son was a long way off, the father saw him. The father saw him while he was a long way off. sat in his chair, 
crossed his arms and waited for the sun to grovel at his feet. No. Even all the embarrassment and humiliation that the younger son had caused the father. The father saw him a long way off. And he ran, picked up his robes and ran. Men in that day didn't run anywhere. They didn't bare their legs. But the father ran, fell on the son, kissed him. The son begins his speech. But the father cuts him off. You see, this story is so often called the prodigal son. The story of the prodigal son. See, the son wasted his money with extravagant, unrestrained living. To be prodigal. To be prodigal is to be reckless, wastefully extravagant. See, the son wasted the wealth with extravagant, reckless living. But the story tells us that the father restored the son with reckless, extravagant grace. The God that we are talking about this morning is a prodigal God. As Tim Keller puts it, he says, God is a prodigal God. Well, what God's a wayward God. Prodigal doesn't actually mean wayward. It means reckless and wastefully extravagant. And in his desire to reconnect with humanity, God was prodigal. He was extravagant. He was reckless in giving the world his son. He poured out his love, demonstrated his love. That we would be reunited with him. Today, that is your heavenly father. That is your heavenly father. That is our heavenly father. I invite you this morning just to close your eyes and bow your head. Maybe you're here this morning. And you've never heard about this love. You've never heard about this love. Your your picture of God is like an old man sitting in a chair, pointing his finger, condemning the world. I want to tell you this morning that God loves you. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called, that we should be named, named children of God. That because of Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross for us by dying, He opened the way for us to be reconnected with the Father. And I want to give you an opportunity 
on Father's Day 2015 to be reunited and reconnected with the Father, to take that first step, to take that first step on the journey of getting to know Him and experiencing and discovering this love, this love that our God has for us. If that's you this morning, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to invite you to raise your hand. Indicate to me this morning that, that you would like me to pray for you and you want to take that first step on the journey of getting to know God. If that's you, I want to invite you to raise your hand. I want to give you a chance to do that. But maybe you're here this morning and you've heard about God and you've walked with God. But somewhere along the journey, things went wrong and didn't work out. Maybe you're thinking God's looking down on you because you've made this decision before. Maybe you've taken that first step before. But it's all gone pear-shaped for you. Maybe this morning you're here hearing about this incredible God and the love that he has for us and you need a fresh start. Maybe you need a fresh start. If that's you this morning and you want to have a fresh start with God, a fresh start on the journey of walking with him and getting to know him, if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to raise your hand. Our God has arms that are always open, always open, always open. Whilst your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to read to you from Ephesians 3. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Father, I thank you for each person who is here this morning. Father, I pray that you would reveal to us more and more and more the height, the depth, the width and the length of your love that you have toward us. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, soften our hearts, that we would truly grasp and live out of a place of knowing that we are loved. We're not, we're, not, we're not living to gain your love, but we're living from a place of being loved by you. In Jesus' name.